everybody. We're getting ready to jump in. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the message. We've got my preaching partner for a long time, Miss Angela Costello. We've already prayed over. Everybody's ready for the message. So go, team, go. I'm excited Amen. to hear it. All right. Go thank you, buddy. Thank All you. Well, as always, thank you guys for allowing me the opportunity to do this. This is something I really look forward to. Last couple of weeks I've been gone, and y'all been praying for me as I've been out in the Midwest and doing my thing and um, for work. And I often will send Buddy and Tanya and them kind of a prayer 911. You know, as you're starting to encounter things in work and things are getting stressed, I don't even explain what it is. I just do 911. And they know that that means please pray. Things are getting complicated. And that's just typically life in general. Life is complicated. But as I, uh, the last 20 years in writing for television and stuff for kids and everything, every Easter I had to write something new. All right, and you think to yourself, how can you tell the same story over and over and over again? And you'd be amazed at the details that are in this story and amazed at how the seasons in your life, as they change, the meanings of the story take on a deeper significance. Okay, and so when I think of Palm Sunday initially, I genuinely, I, I need a, the, the rock and roll clicker thing. Here we go. Um, I, it's the, the story of triumph of Jesus' entry, and it's one of the few stories of life that appears in all four of the Gospels. It's told over and over and over, the triumphant entry. It's described over and over and over, the triumphant entry. And then when I started to think about this story, as I was trying to figure out the details of things, it's this picture that comes to mind. As a child in the children's Bible, I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but it was a big brown hardcover book, so you can't mess it up and rip it apart, you know, treating it bad. But it was, it was one of the pages in the book that was always vibrant and full of color. It got the full landscape of the book when you opened it up. I always loved to read as a child, but, but there was something about this that was intriguing. It, it drew you in. You went from the, the black and white kind of grayscale imagery to all of a sudden things got colorful. And then as I looked at this, I began to think just this past week about what are my favorite memories of Palm Sunday? When did I first begin to understand or even gravitate to the story? It's when, and many of us were there, Trinity Church growing up. Palm Sunday was a big deal. Now, in, in the real world, what we say, we'll call it a premium. That's where you get something for free when you leave, all right? You get a premium. It's kind of like the little candles at Christmas. You get a premium. You're walking out with a candle. Not sure what to do with it, but you got lots of candles with circle paper, right? We've all got them in our All right? In a storm, we go and remember Christmas. All right, we're, so we're good. But it was always the palm, which I found really interesting as I went to order some palms from the florist. When I was little, the palms were big. And you walked out with a whole stem, right? I mean, it was a big, it was a big thing. But now, it's this. I was really shocked when I went to pick them up. And she said, oh, I have everything. And I'm like, is that fan open or what's the... <laughs> but things have changed. But the significance of the story has not. So... What I'd like to do, if it's okay with you guys, is kind of take you through the thought process as I'm writing a story. One of the stories that, that, I, that I had to write for this a long time ago, I guess one of the last ones I wrote, was a story on Barabbas. Because as I began to look up who Barabbas was, how all that came to play, who, how all that came together, and then you realize that there's really no story of Barabbas after that moment where he's chosen instead of Jesus. 
So I wrote it from the point of view of if Barab that Barabbas was probably an arrogant, prideful guy. He had kind of got wrapped up in the moment of the crowd cheering for him. And then imagine if he attended the crucifixion. It kind of changes the story. It changes the way you look at it because we all have those moments in our lives. So as you begin to research those things, as I had to, to write for stuff, this is one of those photos that I began to research because I want to know what, what is it? What, what more is going on here? What has the, art, the artist depicted? Well, the first one, obviously, as a child, was the gravitation to the palm. It was fun to sit in church. I have a vivid memory of sitting in Trinity Church. They gave the palms out in Sunday school, okay, which we all in ministry know, mistake, all right? <laughs> so now I can remember because when, when we went to church, I always knew where everybody else was sitting. Ours was 12 rows back towards the center, almost to the middle, okay? That's where our family sat every Sunday of my life, all right? I mean, it's the truth. And I knew that if I looked three rows up to the left, that Miss Harriet wasn't there, that there was something going on. We need to check on Miss Harriet. I mean, it was that kind of, of thing, right? Well, they had given away the palms, and so we're all scattered as children throughout the church, but I remember the whole Palm Sunday service, you would see a cavalcade of this happening, followed by a parent, and you knew when it happened because it would... <laughs> right? So anyway, it was, it's a happy memory, but it was just interesting. But it was all about the palm. Well, the original Hebrew for palm is tamar, okay? The Hebrew pictograph for the palm, pictures meaning when you don't speak a certain language or you don't really understand the dialect one to the other, there was a, a picture that went with it, were these three images, and they meant water, abundance, and God. I want you to think about that. A picture representing what is about to happen. But this was a, the original uh, a word for, for the palm. Now, palm in the Bible, in Scripture, it talks in Psalms that it's flourishing, that it's tall and upright in Jeremiah. It's a symbol of victory, symbol of provision. And in Psalm 92, it talks about the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Flourish like the palm tree. There was a significance to the palm. It wasn't just... Uh, uh, it wasn't just something to wave at a party. It wasn't a streamer on a stick. There was a symbolism to all of this. It's something I've discovered in all these years of writing these shows is that uh, everything is on purpose. There is a symbolism behind everything. Now, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Does this look like an environment of flourishing? That's why I find it interesting, the words that are used. Flourish. This to me, having just come from the West, and, and I wasn't in the sand but felt like it, has a hot place. There's, there's very little water. The winds blow an incredible, we had an incredible sandstorm while I was out there in, um, in Las Vegas. The wind was blowing and the dirt was whipping and tumbleweeds were rolling. But that's why you see these snaky things in the actual sand itself. That's from the storms that pass. So does this look like a place where the palm will flourish? The water is deep, but the palm flourishes. I think this it can be interpreted or is a symbolism to us that life isn't easy, but provision is there. And I think we can all attest to life is not easy. 
but God's provision is there. You can feel like you're in the desert, but God's provision is there. The palm takes on even more significance. The first reference appears in Exodus 15, 27. When they're, they're leaving Egypt, they're, they're running for their lives, basically. And it says they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped by the water. 70 in the Bible is the number of gratefulness. One date palm was good news. It could sustain you. But the fullness of palm trees, 70, well, that was a place of great refreshing for people. A place of great refreshing. That's who God is intended to be for us. That place of great refreshing. In the middle of life's deserts, the place of great refreshing. That's another reason why the palm is so significant. Along with the 70 trees, there were 12 wells, by the way. There was one for every tribe that was making that exodus. Yet another sign of God's blessing and care for them. God granted them refreshing and renewed energy. The palm that I used to think was just this cool thing I got in Sunday school that was something the crowd waved. Because really, you focus on the story of who Jesus is and why he's arriving. But all of these little props, so to speak, all have significance and meaning in the telling of the story. They're mentioned in the scripture over and over and over, and they mean things. They want you to take something deeper away from the story. God granted great refreshing and renewed energy. Can any of you use that? How much more valuable are you than a palm? I can certainly use great refreshing and renewed energy on a daily basis. This is why the scripture admonishes us to be like a palm. That we're firmly planted. We know who our Lord and personal Savior is. Great refreshing. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Psalm 92. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. When you see the word cedar of Lebanon in the Bible, that is a tree that when it gets into a drought situation will burrow its roots a mile if necessary to find water to sustain itself. It stops looking good on top, but it's deep underneath. When there's a reference that we need to be like a cedar in Lebanon, it's saying go deep. Go deep. Quit worrying so much if your tree looks good, if everything's slick, if you're all dressed all nice, if everything's good on the front. Go deep. Sustain. Dig deep into God. Hold on. The water that sustains you. Go deep. And when you see those trees in the Middle East, they'll look like they're about to croak, and they'll say, no, 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 they're good, they're good. We had a drought. And as sure as the rains come, as sure as the seasons change, not only do they turn green, but they grow straight. Straight up. You ever seen those spirally kind of cedar trees that go way up? That's the cedar in Lebanon. They're ready to grow. They're, they're firmly planted. But it says here that we need to be like those trees, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. And they will proclaim, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. 
Meaning, life got hard, life got difficult. God didn't leave me in my difficulty, but I went deeper. I flourished despite the circumstances. I was like a palm. I was planted. The sand rose, but so did I. Palms, by the way, in case I always like to know the facts of things. I don't know. I'm a trivial pursuit. It's one of my favorite games, in case you're wondering. But I like the facts of things. Palms, by the way, grow up to 80 feet tall. We're used to the ones we see at Lowe's, Walmart, you know, woo, palm tree. All right. 80 feet. And their, their palm fronds, these things, when they're actually a big leaf, uh, can grow up to 12 feet long. And they bend from the top with amazing strength and resilience. I picked this picture because you see this guy? He's about six feet tall. Look at the size of that palm tree in comparison to him. These are the things that were being used for the reference and analogy that we are seeing in the scripture. It wasn't a little bitty tree. He's referring to big ones. Where to be like a palm. Date palms have thorns that are approximately four to five inches long. Did you know that palm trees have thorns? They can easily pierce a truck tire. Okay, the very, I was reading on the thing about how they harvest them, harvest the dates, and it says the very first thing we need to do is remove the thorns so that we can harvest the fruit. Does that not speak to us? Remove the thorns so we can harvest the fruit. The thorns of people hurting you, people rejecting you, people being mean and hateful because people are people. The thorns of the past not being indicative of the future. The thorn that says, I'm going to protect myself because heaven forbid I grow. I don't want to do nothing because last time I did that, this happened. What if the next time is supposed to be different than the last time? Remove the thorns. Get to the fruit. The sustainability of a date, by the way, in the middle of a desert, if you come across a date palm, which they're everywhere, uh, when you do find them in an oasis, most of them are date palms, there's, there's sugar, there's vitamins, there's minerals. You can be sustained by the date. So not only is it providing you shade in the midst of sweltering heat and an indication that there's water, there's living water nearby and fresh water to drink, but that there is fruit. <coughs> now that palm tree that was an accent in Sunday school, I all of a sudden now realize was also a foreshadowing. Thorns four to five inches long on a palm tree. I never knew that, did you? And there they are. You see that as the leaves grow, the ones that are closest to the fruit are thorns this long. The crown of Christ, thorns this long. Different tree, this long. But they said it was, they were so strong they could pierce the skull. These can pierce a truck tire. Do you see the picture any differently? Does a palm mean something different now? Is it a mere artist's decoration in this picture? No. To me, as I, as I every time I'd had to study these things and, figure, and start to learn more and more, and let me make it really clear to you and everyone else, at no point have I arrived in understanding, okay? I do not claim to know everything. The only thing I do claim is there is a God and I am not him. 
Okay? So that revelation and that understanding, it's a personal thing. If you dig into God and you ask Him, show me, He will. Call on me and I will answer you. It doesn't say, call on me, let's make a schedule, I'll work it out, pencil you in, see you Tuesday. No, it says, I will answer you. He's so much bigger than us, yet so less complicated. But now what do you see? What is the other thing that's here? As a child, what else did we focus on? What is that picture that we colored a thousand times and we all fought over the brown crayon? Yes, use arguments in Sunday school. Mary arrived on a donkey. Jesus returned on a donkey. You ever given that any thought? Okay. Jesus said in Matthew, go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. He went on to tell them, bring them both to me. I want to, he wanted to assure the colt came with them all because he was going to ride the colt. It said, I want to ride on the donkey that has, been, that has never been ridden. The donkey was a symbol of peace. Physically, it was more at eye level with the crowd. The intention was, in that period, when you rode on a horse, it was a symbol of war, and you rode above the crowd looking down on them. There were many symbolisms here. Donkeys, by the way, you got to go one step over. You got to keep looking a little deeper. Don't just pass over the word donkey. Don't make the assumptions that you know everything is going on. Donkeys, by the way, are observant and cautious animals. Believe it or not. They're very difficult to ride if never ridden before. They will refuse to do anything that seems slightly dangerous. All right? They have a reputation for being stubborn, but they are actually very obedient and will not refuse a reasonable order or request. When a donkey is startled by something, I didn't know this, they do not run blindly in fear. You ever get behind a horse and you go, ha, ah, and they'll take off. A donkey will turn around and look at you. <laughs> They're not, it scared them, but instead of reacting, they go, for real? They'll look right back at you. What exactly was it that scared me? Let me get a good eyeball on it. Donkeys do not hesitate to attack if they perceive a threat. And they are affectionate, calm, and patient. Those are attributes I had never given to a donkey before. But I genuinely did not know that when they are frightened, they will turn and look at the thing that's threatening them. Are there... Is there anything here in the donkey world that we as people can relate to? So is there a great deal of symbolism in the fact that Jesus rode on the donkey, that he was coming in peace? Absolutely. That he was finishing the journey. His, his mom brought him there in a journey. He was returning there in the journey on the donkey. I do think it's important that the donkey is not afraid. He's not a fearful animal. But I also think it was really important that the donkey had never been ridden before. Because I looked it up to see, okay, you know, people wanting to ride donkeys, and all of a sudden you come on all these sites of rodeos and this and that, and people doing all sorts of crazy stuff, trying to practice, and, and the donkey's throwing people off. 
He's ready. If he don't want to be ridden, it's not going to happen. But it, I think it is a testament to the peaceful nature of Christ that in the middle of the chaos that was about to ensue, Jesus sitting on him, there was a peace there. There was no chaos. There was no fear. There was nothing to be afraid of. The donkey was not feeling the anticipation. Can you imagine? I, mean, I have a hard time, okay, fathoming that Jesus knew exactly what he was walking into. He knew he was the fulfillment of the prophecy. He knew what was coming. He knew. None of this was a surprise. He knew. He had a relationship with the Father. He knew what was coming. He willingly hopped on the donkey, smiled, and rode into town. He knew. So I believe that peaceful nature that he had went right to the donkey. The donkey said, hey, I've never been ridden before, but this is good. We're good. We're all good. But we are often, like the donkey in my opinion, where we are stubborn and have to be convinced and must be coddled and assured everything's okay before we'll make decisions, before we'll do things, before we'll even make good decisions. We have to get 12 opinions and three people agree. So does it change what you see in the picture? We see a, the palms of, you know, the great provision and all the things God was doing there, the symbolism of the palm. We see the, the donkey and, and how it was a donkey that wasn't ridden, but now it's being ridden for the first time, but somehow it's just navigating that crowd without even thinking about it. Everything's good. The donkey was with Jesus. What a lucky donkey. Now what else do you see? What else do you see? Now there's that obvious point. It's the people. We see the people. They're all gathered around. I, I always gravitated that the kids always look so happy to be there. Do you know why all the people were there for Passover? They, they, it was one of the times, like when, when Mary uh, went back for the census, this was another one of those times where everybody had to come back for Passover. All right, let's go. Let's see which way I went. All right. So now, instead of just being these people, I started thinking about what if it was us? Okay, so this is me about two weekends ago. This is what, you know, I'm, the reason production people wear black is you just kind of blend in with the, the scenery and the stage and everything else. And so as you go out on stage and I'm changing some batteries on cameras, of course, all these people are just waiting for the next ticket they paid for. But this is kind of the perspective that I get on a regular basis. People, woo, man, they're ready to go. Uh, last weekend uh, at the, the country music thing, I was changing something, and one of the artists had dropped like a cozy off of a cup, right? It was nothing. It was garbage. And I'm changing the thing on the camera, and the lady, I hear some lady, oh, hey, hey, hey. And I thought, okay, is she having a heart attack? Let me look. <laughs> and she's like, I said, what? And I looked around, I'm like, I thought, well, I'm about to fall or snake's about to bite me. Something bad's happening because she is freaking out. And then I realized that that piece of trash that was around his cup is right there. I looked at her like, that? <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I don't know. And I flip it off. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you would have thought she touched the hem of his garment, that something amazing was about to happen, that she had had an encounter with Jesus, but she was hugging and holding that cozy piece of paper. All because it touched someone that she thought was so important. So 
if the crowd gathered and the crowd kind of looked like us or similar to us, it would probably look something like that. But it was Passover, and it was one of the three feasts that the Jews were supposed to attend in Jerusalem. And consequently, the population of Jerusalem swelled to enormous levels at this time. This was another one of those times when it would have been hard to find room in the inn, right? As the great crowd was beginning to gather and form around Israel, the news about Jesus was spreading, and people are wondering if he will come to the feast. They're wondering. They don't know him. They've heard of him. They heard about the miracles. Word has traveled fast. But why are they wondering so much if he's going to come? Because they know that this is like the ultimate in one of those bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? Because he had a reputation. They knew the Pharisees were looking for him. They knew something was cooking, that there was confrontation brewing. So now when I, when I think about the crowd and why they were there, well, they, by openly entering the city where he was a marked man, Jesus was taking the first steps towards that final confrontation. Right? And a crowd of pilgrims go to see him. All these people have come from everywhere else to be in Jerusalem for this time, and so it's super crowded. They don't know him. They don't know him. They know of him. And they've heard about him, and they're enthusiastic. Woo! Kind of like the lady with the cozy on the cup. They're enthusiastic. She knows that group. She's listened to that group. She does not know them. They don't know her. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was very dramatic. The people in that crowd were not there just so they could welcome the Messiah. They were there out of curiosity. Some were there because their lives had been touched in some way. Some were there hoping for a miracle. They were looking for that hem of the garment moment. But most of them were there just out of curiosity. They were curious. They didn't know him. And they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> just so you know, that is a common welcome that the pilgrims would use in Jerusalem when they were coming home for Passover. It was an entirely appropriate thing to do as Jesus was coming up to Jerusalem. But there is more to the story. The Hebrew word for Hosanna actually means save or help. They didn't realize that they were actually saying, Save us! Help us! Hosanna! Do you realize that when you sing Hosanna, you're asking God to help you? It is not just a word of praise. It is a word of understanding that I need something beyond myself. Save us. Help us. So a crowd of strangers, many of them curious, none of them with relationship, unbeknownst to themselves, crying out, save us, help us. But they really didn't know the meaning or what they were asking for. They didn't know the complexity of what was about to happen. They didn't understand the significance of that. It was complicated. The Jesus that was arriving was the compassionate Jesus. 
It was the Jesus that cared for the sick. It was the one that healed the blind. It was the one that touched the, that the hem of his garment and the belief in her heart healed her. It was the one that made the leper whole. It was the one that told James, quit chasing the children away. It's okay. I don't care if they're talking while I'm talking. I just want them to be near me. It was this Jesus. So you ask yourself, well, wait a minute. The crowd, Hosanna! Wouldn't they be attracted to this guy? Wouldn't they want the peace that this guy has? The guy that rode on the donkey that had never been ridden, and I'm sure that was some gossip around town. Yeah, that donkey that was tied by the tree that nobody had ever ridden, he rode it, and didn't we throw him off once in the middle of all those people? You know how we are. That would be Facebook. Saw a guy riding a donkey. So why wasn't this something they gravitated to? Because they wanted this. This is what they knew. They wanted someone who would rule with physical strength and might, but he came as a humble servant. They wanted someone to bring them glory. They'd been chased out, chased down, moved out, pushed around. They were tired of it. But he wanted to teach them how to glorify God. They wanted someone who would crush their enemies. You ever had that moment where you're like, you know, get them, God. But he said, love your enemies. He was contrary to what they were cheering for. He was exactly what they were asking for. Hosanna, help me. He was exactly what they needed. But they thought they knew what they needed. That crowd with the palms, I was watching the donkey just with the crowd with all the things. I feel like I'm in the Jack's built house mode. That lived in the house the Jack built. You know how you go down the thing? But look, they wanted somebody who would fight the fight. They wanted to argue. They wanted somebody to just step up and go, look, I got you. Here's a lightning bolt. That's what they were looking for. Which adds some context to this. They had to choose. Remember, as we get further in the story, this was a really busy week after the entry. Where did he go? Do you know where he went? The moment he went through the gate, where did he go next? He did not waste any time ruffling feathers. He went immediately to the temple and found him selling stuff and flipped the tables over and said, what are you doing? He didn't ride in, have a snack. Let me kick back for a minute, catch my breath. It's been a long journey, lots of sand, lots of dirt, really tired. Donkey was rough. That's us. Flight was long, bus ride was tiring. Let me take a break. No, he went right to business because he was about his father's business. He knew what he needed to do. But by the time they arrived at this moment where the crowd is choosing between Barabbas and Jesus, I don't know if you remember the story, but when Pontius Pilate says, okay, you choose because I see no wrongdoing with this man. He literally washed his hands in a bowl and he said, I wash my hands of this because he could not find any wrongdoing in Christ. So he decided he'd pass the buck and let the crowd make a choice because he really didn't care. Pick one. And the crowd that had gathered with the palms, the same people were here. This was a big event, lots of people. Many of them knew Barabbas. They didn't really know Jesus. They were expecting the king, and they got the king. 
And you know who they chose. The crowd that was so exuberant, Jesus, Hosanna, help me, save me, crucify him, is where they ended up. And it didn't take three days to get there. That's a message to us. You stand in the middle of a crowd and everybody's telling you how great you're doing. Don't depend on them to sustain you because that will change. The only part that's never changing, the only word that's constantly true, the only one who's always there is Jesus. This is who you're really dealing with, and we all have a little of this in us. Let's just tell it like it is. We have those moments that just push us over that edge or hit our button. doesn't mean we're not redeemed. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us. But I'm just trying to help us understand. The same crowd that cheered him in, do you look at them the same? Are you looking at the same picture now? Do you see the picture the same way? Do you see the palms that are intended to be a symbol of God's sustaining in the middle of hardship? Do you see the donkey that, that volunteered basically to say, yes, I'll, I'll, not only will I be obedient, but I'm not going to freak out. And do you see the people who were just really being part of a moment, but they didn't have a relationship. In the time it took the palm to wilt, it was finished. So that very thing that they were waving, that probably got taken home, some of them were thrown on the street. In the time it took, that palm to wilt. Jesus had looked at the thief on the cross and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. And the tomb was closed and the stone was rolled in front and a guard was put by the tomb because they didn't want someone stealing the body and faking resurrection. And the tomb was incredibly heavy. The stone in front of the tomb was incredibly heavy because they wanted to be certain no one could remove it without drawing a lot of attention. Does the palm mean anything different now? Do you think of it any differently? Remember, once the palm is separated from the tree, Though it's beautiful for a moment, it is slowly dying, slowly wilting away. Eternal life comes from connection, from relationship, from knowing Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. I know Jesus is my Lord and personal Savior. You must be confident in that. I remember I was walking down the beach one time in Daytona, Florida, and somebody came up walking down the beach towards me, and they were passing out tracks along the beach. And it's been, it had been a long time since somebody had witnessed you ever, how long has it been since somebody witnessed to you? Since somebody came up to you on the street or something and said, here's a track. I don't know, it's becoming less and less obvious, less and less frequent. Anyway, they came up and they handed me a track and they said, give me a percentage. I said, a percentage? How sure are you you're going to heaven? 
Any number between 0 and 100, how sure are you? I'm going to pose that question to you guys right now. How sure are you from 0 to 100? How sure are you that you're going to heaven? It's a trick question. If see, it's 100 or it's none. If you say to yourself, well, 98, what is the two, two degrees of separation? What is that? What is that, that 2%? What, what is that, those two dots in that timeline? What is it? Well, I, I didn't do this well enough, or I didn't do that well enough, or I don't do this enough, or I don't go there enough. It is not about that. It is about relationship. Do you believe that Jesus lived, triumphantly entered that city, was beaten, bruised, battered, drug his own cross down the road with very few people willing to help him along the way because the centurions would then beat them for helping. And then they didn't just beat them. There were these, these whips that had pieces of bone tied in them so that when they hit you, not only did they split your skin, but they ripped it off. This was the violence. Do you believe that Jesus was crucified on that cross? Do you believe that just like the thief on the cross, when Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise, that we all have a this day? And why do we know we have a this day? Because the tomb was empty. The stone that no one should move was rolled away. The tomb was empty. No one could explain it. No one could find him. They actually went looking. And then Jesus sealed the deal and he returned and said, look no more, here I am, see? See? And it says he appeared to a great number of people. He traveled around for a while. He let people see that he was the only living, resurrected Savior. I've been around the world for my job and I have been to the tombs of other gods. They're still in there. Roll it away. They're still there. The only living God. Jesus, your Lord and personal Savior. The reason Palm Sunday is important. The reason Easter Sunday is important. Don't be a curious bystander. Know him. Celebrate the triumph of the entry of Christ into your heart. That's the entry that changes everything. God grant us that great refreshing, that renewed energy. I'm sorry, but it means so much to me that you know we are so much more valuable than this. Life is so hard sometimes for all of us. You're sick, you're folks. Things are going on. People getting older. Renewed energy is every day available to you through that personal relationship with Jesus. Ask him to renew your strength. If you're uncertain, even one dot on that line from zero to 100, fix it today. Walk in certainty. Walk in the certainty that you can't earn it. Walk in the certainty that you can't lose it. 
Walk in the certainty that he loves you far more than you could possibly fathom. And that the cross is not your fate, but eternal life. The irony of Barabbas was he was spared to have the opportunity to live again. Did he deserve it? No. Do we deserve it? No. We have all fallen short. But God cares so much about us that he wants to sustain us. As you go through this week, and as you're remembering the Palm Sunday and all the other things that happened in this week before we get to the next, we have the benefit of looking back and knowing what happened. We do not need to live in the grief of all the horrible things that happened to him, but we need to live in the certainty and the joy of the, the resurrection truth that the tomb is still empty. He is a risen Lord. He wants to be your personal savior. He wants to renew you. He wants you to be like the palm, to grow strength and straight and tall. He wants you to have the resilience for this life. He wants you to flourish. It says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. Trust him to show you the big stuff. Don't limit yourself to what you think you deserve. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now, Lord, and I thank you so much for that triumphant entry. I thank you so much, Lord, that you care for us. I thank you so much, God, that the tomb is still empty. And I pray right now, Lord God, that you would fill the hearts of everyone listening. That if there is any among us, God, who can't click 100% in that box that says, Are you sure you are saved? Let today be the day. Let Easter be a true celebration of resurrection in our own lives. So God, right now, for all of us who do believe in you, Lord, who have accepted you, God, I just pray for a renewing of strength for a refreshing in our spirit, for a joy in our hearts. Help us, God, to know you want to not only sustain us, you want to help us not only survive this life, but thrive. Help us, God, to gravitate to that, to want that, to seek you, Father. Because in seeking you, everything else is added. Everything else is taken care of. Everything. Nothing exceeds the power of your might. Nothing exceeds the grace of your love. God, we love you. We appreciate you. We are grateful. Hosanna. Help us. Save us. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a all right, now look, true to the tradition of my childhood, you will each receive a palm on the way out. Hold it, hold it. Hold it. Well, no, it looks like it, doesn't it? Well, we've got a song that we're going to share. I think it's going to be right with us. A song we wrote some time ago called New Day. How many people have fresh starts? Today can be your fresh start. Let's stand and praise the Lord.
So we're going to be meeting here at 7 a.m. outside. Uh, we're going to do a, a sunrise service out there. And again, we'll have our regular service at 10. I hope you guys can make it and pass the word, spread the word. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.